listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Happy Pentecost Sunday. So, um... You all have heard, uh, many of you have heard me say before that I grew up Pentecostal. And I didn't just grow up Pentecostal, but I grew up kind of Appalachian Pentecostal, which is its own variation of the movement. Um, you have to experience to really, to really appreciate it, to know what I'm talking about. Um, but sometimes I think when I talk about it, you might get the idea that that's just part of my past. Uh, but that, that would be a mistake to think that. Like I still very much self-identify as Pentecostal. It, it's not atypical for me to speak in tongues it's, it's, or to lay hands on someone, so be careful if I'm near you. I, I actually, um, you know the story, some of you, that I, I walk around with a little bit of anointing oil in this little wooden container just in case I might run into someone I, I need to pray for. It's, it's something I just kind of keep, keep on me pretty much all the time. It is, it is kind of who I am to the bone. It's not, it's not something that I was just convinced of like intellectually, someone made an argument and they said, you should believe in Christianity, and in particular, you should believe in this particular branch of Christianity. It, it, it didn't happen that way to me. I grew up in it. And so it's what my parents were, and it's what you know, my sister was, and it's the, it's the experience that kind of formed me. Uh, in fact, I can't imagine who I would be without it. It's so much a part of who I am. So... This particular day, interestingly enough, in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. The irony of that is, is that growing up, we never celebrated it. Like, we didn't celebrate Pentecost Sunday. I remember I got to a Presbyterian college. I went to a Presbyterian school, and I got there, and they, somebody made reference to Pentecost Sunday, and I'm like, Pentecost Sunday? That's every Sunday. <laughs> He's like... He's like, no, it's a particular day in the church calendar. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, if there was a Pentecost Sunday, I would know about it. Not you, my Presbyterian friend. <laughs> but as it turns out, it actually is a day in the church calendar. And it wasn't just a day in the church calendar. It was a day in the Jewish calendar. So in Acts chapter 2, it says, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. There is so much just in that one verse. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. All together in one place. There's, that's what the Spirit of God does for us. The Spirit of God draws us together. And this, this is a, a point at which I, I need to, I think, critique uh, my upbringing a bit. Somehow, we told the story of the day of Pentecost in a way that ended up being fairly elitist. Like, we talked about the spirit of God as though it was something that we possessed and others didn't. Like, we have the spirit, but the Baptists don't. Or we don't. And that's just wrong. Like, if you think you could be filled with the spirit of God... And somehow that makes you an elitist. It is not the Spirit of God that you're filled with. Like the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God fills you, would empty you 
of your kind of ego and your egocentrism, and it would make you care for the other. It would, it would bring you to the capacity that we could all be together in one place, even though we are all so, so very different. So this day of Pentecost, which was a national holiday in, in Jewish circles. So when the day of Pentecost had come, it was a national holiday. Every day there was the day of Pentecost. And what it was celebrating in Judaism, it was celebrating God coming down on Mount Sinai and kind of giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. So, so Pentecost kind of comes 50 days uh, Pentecost means 50. It comes 50 days after Passover. And so uh, when Passover comes, uh, the, the original Passover uh, was part of the 10 plagues uh, that was against Egypt. Um, Moses versus Pharaoh. You know, the, you know the, the conflict there. And the last plague was an angel of death. And the angel of death was coming. And if you killed a lamb and you, you took the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost, the angel of death would pass over, right? Hence, Passover. So every year, uh, Jews would celebrate Passover. And it was a religious holiday in that it celebrated the exodus, the birth of their nation. It was kind of like their Independence Day. But it was also an agricultural holiday. It was a day where you kind of planted things. Um, it, was a, it was a feast that they would celebrate, they would eat. It was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I know sounds a bit like an oxymoron, right? Because if your bread's flat, that doesn't sound like much of a feast. But we'll go with it. They were in a hurry to get out of town, and so they, they baked their bread without leaven. So it was a feast, it was an agricultural moment of the calendar, and it was a national kind of holiday, and it had all of this kind of spiritual and religious overtones. Passover. So the Gospel of John will tell us that Jesus dies on Passover. And so he starts to draw this connection between the annual Passover lamb, <clears throat> excuse me, the annual Passover lamb that the Jews would sacrifice in, the, in their day of worship, this kind of big national holiday, like a big barbecue, right? So Jesus kind of dies on that day, and, and John will refer to Jesus as the Passover lamb. So imagine, perhaps, that all of those Passovers that the Jews had celebrated year after year after year after year, in some ways didn't only look back to the Exodus, but also somehow looked forward to what would happen in the life of Christ. And so, on that particular Passover, Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. Of course, we know that he was also uh, resurrected. And then, 50 days later, after that Passover, we come to this day of Pentecost. So, let's jump back real quick. 50 days after the original Passover, the one that started the Exodus... Fifty days later, they come, and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God comes down, and there's a covenant that's made. God's like, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and this is how we'll live together. And the, the central part of that covenant, at least in terms of the words that got written down, is what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, fast forward. We're back to Jesus. Fifty days after Jesus was buried 
and then resurrected. Fifty days later, it says in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and something happened. God came down again, much the same way that God had come down on Mount Sinai to make a covenant with the Jews. God came down again and kind of renewed this covenant, except it's going to be more expansive. It's not so much kind of deleting the old one, but really fulfilling it. So if the old covenant was kind of fulfilling this promise to Abraham that I will make your descendants a great nation and through them I'll bless all the nations of the world, the first kind of Passover and Pentecost was the first half of that promise, making them into a nation. And now, all these years later, God's fulfilling that second part of the promise through them blessing the world. Because that's exactly then what happens. It's here that the church kind of gets established, that it is filled with the presence and the power of the Spirit. And it's a presence and it's a power not to conquer, not to manipulate, not to coerce, but it's a, it's a presence and a power to kind of stay and to stick it out and to sacrifice for. It's one that really kind of not just transforms our bodies and our language, but transforms our hearts. Now, in the Revised Common Lectionary, the, the texts that get placed together for ministers to preach from, it's very common on this day in particular for this passage in Acts 2 to be combined with the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Now, that story in the Tower of Babel, I've got to tell you, is one confusing story. Like, you should read it. In fact, we're going to read it together in a second, but it's, it's like, what in the world? How does this fit? Like, what's going on? Let's, let's turn there. We'll, we'll put it on the screen for you. This is Genesis 11. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Hmm. What? What? So, so they're moving east, right? So this is part of that prehistory part of Genesis. It starts with, you know, the first humans, and there's the whole Garden of Eden. 
And there's Cain and Abel, and then there's the flood, and then there's the descendants of Noah. And this is the very last story we get before we get to Abraham. And I guess they're still moving east, I guess east of Eden. And they settle down, and they're like, we should build a city. We should stick together. We should make a tower. You know, and if we make a tower that reaches up you know, into the heavens, a real tall tower, then we'll all stick together. Like we won't be scattered. Now, if you ask me, that sounds like a pretty noble idea. Let's build something here. Let's make something worth being a part of. Let's, let's build it strong enough so that we'll stick together. Like we'll be a community. Like who's, who's going to be against that? Isn't God for us coming together? Isn't God for us kind of sticking together and holding it together and not getting scattered all apart? And then I remember kind of hearing this story when I was a child, and I was confused by it even then. I'm like, did the tower actually go all the way up to heaven? Because interesting that God doesn't, doesn't interrupt the building of the tower. The tower gets built, and then God comes down so apparently if it was actually supposed to go up to heaven, it didn't get far enough, right? Because God had to come down to see it. That's, look at that. That's a nice tower you made there. That's how I read it now. So God, God sees it, and, and God's like, so, so I thought maybe that this was just a story about pride. Look what I can do. And that pride is not something that God would be in favor of. And so this is just a, kind of a, 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 I don't know, a story that kind of teaches us not to be prideful. But I think it's more nuanced than that. I think there's some subtleties here. Because when God comes down, I mean, can't tell the story, or at least I don't think we should be telling the story, in such a way that it sounds like God was threatened by the people. I mean, that doesn't seem to match the God in the Bible in any shape or form. Like, God, God doesn't get, like, nervous when people get together and do stuff. That's, that's not enough to threaten God. I mean, he had to come down to see the great big tower, right? Oh, look at that. So it's, it's, not, it's not that. So what is it? So, so I did some, some study this week, and I read around, and every translation I could find translated that, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they won't understand one another's speech. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So multiple questions come up. If you've been reading through Genesis, it's not as though they didn't already have different languages, like the sons of Noah and their descendants back in chapter uh, 10. It says, these are the descendants of Ham in all of their languages. And these are the descendants of Shem in all of their languages. So there were a lot of languages being spoken prior to Babel. But then the Babel story opens up saying they all spoke a common language. They all had kind of one thing that they, they all understood. So what was that be like? That, that verse that says that they won't understand, could be translated, could be rendered, let us confuse their language so that they won't listen to one another's speech. Well, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Like, does God not want us to listen to one another? 
in what ways would it be wrong for us to listen to one another? And then it hit me. We seem to always want to listen to people who say things that we like to say. Like, we listen to people who say the same things we say. Uh, uh, there's a, a man, his name's uh, McNamee. He's on the board of directors for Facebook. He's a, a mentor of Mark Zuckerberg. And he was recorded in an interview saying, look, at Facebook we have algorithms that if you click on something, we see that you like it, and so we show you more of that. Like, we're making money based on how long you spend on sites or sites that you navigate to after you come through Facebook. So the number of clicks you have and the amount of time you spend there is, is our money uh, mechanism. And so the, you're constantly being fed things that you like to hear. This, this isn't about listening to others. This is about listening to ourselves. That's the problem. That at Babel, they all spoke the same language, not just literally, but figuratively. They didn't want to hear the other. They all had one idea. And that kind of forced unity is more about coercion and manipulation than it is about true unity. Uh, McNamee says... If you think that when you go online that the internet that you're having is some access to truth, he says it doesn't work that way. That we're all, being, we're all receiving access to a different internet because these social media sites are designed to only feed us what we like to hear. Um, psychologists will call this groupthink where we, we only think the same way as our group. And it leads us, and McNamee said this, he says it leads people to think that everyone else thinks like them, and anyone who thinks differently is not only in a minority, but is wrong. Think about that. Someone on the, on the board of trustees, Facebook, is telling us that the, by the use of our social media and the internet, it's kind of forming us into the type of people who think that we're always in the majority and that the minority is just wrong. It's a tower of Babel. It's a, it's a way, it's a, it's a confirmation bias. Right? Confirmation bias is a phenomenon that when you hear things that reinforce what you believe, you assume they're true. And when you hear facts or figures that are contrary to what you believe, you assume that they're false or that they're questionable. And I think it's that confirmation bias. It's that groupthink. It's that uh, homogeneity, right, where we're all just the same. It's sameness, not unity, that God came down and said, we can't have any of this. So what had God wanted to do? God had wanted people to kind of spread out around the globe and kind of populate it and care for it. And so they're doing kind of just the opposite. They're huddled up in sameness as opposed to being sent out uh, as kind of agents of God's work. So God does scatter us, 
But he doesn't scatter us for the sake of us becoming autonomous or being alone. He scatters us. He sends us out so that we can kind of carry this message of God's love and grace and mercy to be out there in the world. And then we, we kind of carry that light and that message wherever we go. And that's what I think is actually happening on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, what's amazing is they're hearing in all these different languages. But they're all hearing about the glory of God. So, a couple of things. Uh, again, in my Pentecostal upbringing, we put a lot of emphasis on, being, on speaking differently when the Holy Ghost had come upon you. Like, when, when the Spirit comes on you, you'll speak with boldness, and you'll speak in tongues, and you'll prophesy. Right? All of this kind of speaking differently when the Spirit comes. But we also, or at least in the story in the Bible, they don't just speak differently, they act differently. In fact, the title of the book is Acts, right? Not Speeches. <laughs> right? We could have titled it that, I guess, The Speeches of the Apostles. But we didn't title it that. We titled it The Acts of the Apostles, and they are acting differently. And if you read down to the end of that chapter, the part that starts when the day of Pentecost had come, they're all together in one place, if you read down to the end of the chapter, they're all gathered together in all of their diversity, in the various tongues that they have heard in. And it says they didn't forsake the teaching of the apostles, which is kind of what we're trying to do here, right? Remembering the teaching of the church. They didn't forsake the uh, table fellowship, which we'll participate in later. They didn't forsake prayer, and they didn't forsake fellowship. And I think that's exactly what the Spirit does for us. But I want us to look at a few verses there in Acts 2 um, and see if you can't identify a certain uh, recurring theme here. This first one comes from verse 6, Acts 2, verse 6. It says, At this the sound of the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. And then in verse 8, And how is it that we hear each of us? In verse 11, In our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And in verse 14, But Peter, standing with eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. They heard in their own language. How is it that we hear? Peter says, listen to what I have to say. What I have to say to you is that you'll know that the Spirit of God has come upon you when you start listening. That the gift of the Spirit doesn't just enable us to speak and to act. The gift of the Spirit enables us to listen. To listen to the other. To listen to someone who's different. Right? We are a very divided culture. 
in every way you can imagine, we have found ways to divide ourselves in politics, in religion, in race, in gender. You name it, we find a way to identify the other. But what I'm saying is that you're going, to, if the Spirit is upon you, you'll have the capacity to listen in a different language and understand in your own. We're going to have a, a, a few uh, folks come and give kind of brief testimonies of things that they've experienced uh, regarding uh, listening uh, just recently um, in the church or outside the church. Lauren, Erica. Um, I know a, a truly kind couple, the kind of couple who are rare these days. I mean, the husband... Um, when I was there recently, he said that the reason that they had been together so long and, and the reason he loved his wife so much was because he, she was truly the most nicest person that he had ever known. Um, no one has ever said or thought that about me, I can promise you that. Um, but anyhow, years ago, they had made a decision that they would be fine without all of those people at church because the man they had worked with made them question and doubt that any church could add um, to their lives but that the opposite could happen or, or may happen and I could relate to that because I used to feel the same way too I have felt hurt and judged while I was at church until I found Oasis a family who truly cares about me and listens. Um, curiosity had led me here. Um, I somehow found out about um, the, the series on the serenity prayer. And, um, but um, y'all's love has, has made me stay here. Thanks for listening. So it was about 20 years ago, I was riding in a golf cart and I played a lot of golf with this gentleman who was probably twice my age. And uh, one day, you know, you have those moments where everything changes. And one day I was sitting in the clubhouse eating lunch and I looked across and there was a group of old men, some in uniform, some not. And a big banner that said, um, Prisoners of Foreign Wars. And as I'm looking at the group of men, there's Joe, and the fellow I'd been riding with. And I thought, you know, in all the time we've been together, he probably knows everything about me, because I'm quite the talker. He probably even knows my social security number. <laughs> but I don't know anything more about him than his wife died recently, and he missed her terribly. Because all I did was talk, and I never listened. And I went up and uh, asked him, and he said that he had been captured in 1942 by the Japanese and was one of the last survivors of the Bataan Death March. And I remember thinking, here's a man who probably had more important stories to tell by the time he was 25 than I'll have to tell in my life, and I didn't listen. And over the next five years before Joe died, I uh, 
I listened, and I heard some remarkable stories. And, um, you know, recently we attended the lab on where we were studying the book, Every Job a Parable. And at first it was just, what do you bring to the job that you have? And um, then I realized, you know, most of the time in my life, I'm not at my job. But um, life gives me opportunities to have lots of jobs. You know, some of us work at the food pantry. Some of us attend the labs. Some of us come in Saturday morning, rearrange the furniture. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, what I intended to do after my experience with Joe was to become a better listener. And there's a lot of things in this life I'm not that good at, but I have gotten pretty good at listening. And it's amazing the stories people will tell you if you stop to listen. And you know, when I think about it, it was all so simple. All I had to do was shut up and listen. So, thanks everybody. So I want you to think about prayer with this idea that prayer is not just about talking, it's about listening. In fact, any conversation should be about listening. And I don't, I don't know if this is just me or if this is like a common problem, but sometimes I'll be in a quote-unquote conversation with someone and I'm not so much listening to them as I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Not the, not the best conversation partner at that point, right? Because I'm, I'm still kind of stuck in my own head. And sometimes I think I pray like that. I think I have to come up with all these words. Again, when I was younger, I don't know why I'm reflecting so much in my early life today. Oh, I do. Uh, today is my 29th wedding anniversary. And so... I think uh, moments like these, days like these, have you reflecting on your past a lot. And I got married as a child. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, kind of grown up all these years uh, with Angela. But, but sometimes I think, you know, I, I thought that in order to be good at prayer, you had to say a lot of words. Like the ones who were, the ones who were good prayers people who prayed, are the ones who had all the words. They could just pray and pray and pray and pray. And then I, I read that passage in Matthew that says, Jesus says, when you pray, don't use a lot of words like the pagans. And I'm like, why did they never say that one? <laughs> like, that's my like, life verse. <laughs> but prayer is about listening, about listening to God, about practicing a certain amount of silence. Because when we listen to another person and when we get to know another person, in some ways, it, it, it improves our humanity. And I think it's practice for being in relationship with God. So Karl Barth, the, the German pastor and theologian, he would describe God as the holy other the W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, meaning completely other. Because God's not like us. We're selfish, 
When, we, when we're trying to have a conversation, we're trying to think about what should I say next, right? There's, we, we, we're anxious, we worry, uh, we're vengeful. I mean, God's not like any of that. And so getting to know someone who's different than you or listening, right, learning to listen to someone else who's different is like practice for getting to know God. Like if you can't, if you can only hear comments and perspectives that you like and you have no capacity or patience to hear something that's different, then what makes you think you could ever hear God? Unless the God you think you're hearing is just a caricature of yourself. And that's scary. We need one another. God has given us to each other in all of our various languages and cultures and locations and differences. I love that opening video that we used of people kind of quoting from 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Those different languages and all those different locations. I mean, I'm so grateful for Carol and the rest that led us in worship today so that some could sing in Spanish or in Portuguese. I don't know if you were able to pick up on that, that those weren't all in Spanish, right? <laughs> right? Because if you don't know a different language, you think, oh, it's like other languages. Uh, one of our kids, I can't even remember which one now, said in a, in a moment of epiphany, you know, in China, they don't speak English. And I'm like, yes. She said they speak Spanish. <laughs> Spanish was her word for other language. <laughs> Look, the, the beauty of all of this is that although the body of Christ has been scattered all around the world, the scattering of the body of Christ has brought the grace of Christ and the mercy and the love of Christ all around the world. And those of us who gather here at Oasis to, to worship God and to love God and to love and serve one another are just kind of one small expression of that. But I, I pray for us. I pray that we will be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit and you speak in tongues, I think that'd be wonderful. If you're filled with the Spirit and you prophesy, I think that would be wonderful. But I also hope that you're filled with the Spirit and that you pray for the sick. I hope that you're filled with the Spirit and you care for the sick, even or maybe especially when they're not healed. I hope that you're filled with the Spirit and that you are given ears and hearts that can listen and can care. They were all together in one place and in one accord. Though they were very different, though they came from lots of different places, though they spoke lots of different languages, there were many languages, but there was one body. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.
Amen.